Hey, John Lim here. We're moving forward with episode 389, and I've got a very special guest, a good friend of mine, Debbie Lay. Uh, she does a lot of amazing things. I'm going to let her tell her story. But uh, first of all, how are you, Debbie? I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me here. Oh, thank you for for being on the show. It's it's uh, great to have you. You and I have had a couple of conversations. I'm excited to share with my listeners what you do, in particular, one of the things that you do, because you do so many things. But uh, let me have you introduce yourself. Tell us, uh, you know, who you are, where you're located, and what you do. Sure. Um, so my name is Debbie, and I uh, am actually an immigration lawyer full-time, and I practice immigration law here in Atlanta, Georgia. And then on the side, which now is a full-time <laughs> not side job anymore, full-time job, is um, a renovation business that we started in 2017, flipping homes, and now we are flipping and building at the same time. So that's kind of the two businesses and jobs that I have now. Was well, amazing because I could do a whole episode on your legal career because, uh, I mean, you, you have such a robust uh, law life, but we're going to focus on um, your quote unquote side gig, which has really yeah. grown up. So that's going to be our focus today. So uh, for our listeners, uh, for those who may not be familiar with this, what do you define basic definition of renovation work? Oh, uh, initially when we were talking about renovation, we were thinking about just getting pretty much a fixer upper home, okay. uh, still habitable. So that means it just needed mostly cosmetic work. And then we would just kind of upgrade and make things more modern to the newer buyer. And then we would turn it around for a profit. But um, the projects that I was taking on needed a lot more renovation work. So that means it needed a, not more, a lot more in-depth work. And so we got into that pretty quickly because of um, the conditions of the home in the neighborhood. So we amped up our crew pretty quickly to do pretty much everything from full gut renovation. Um, as long as two walls could stay up on a home, uh, that means that the house could be a renovated house and not a tear down and rebuilt. I think for most people, especially people who buy homes or their first home, their experiences that uh, the home that they buy, they may do some renovation work on it. And people may not be aware that that is a whole industry that renovating homes it can be a, an entire business. So I want to dig a little bit into your story, Debbie. So is this something that you've been interested in your entire life? Is this an interest that or passion that has come into your life more recently? Where did this all come from? Yeah, so uh, it actually started uh, pretty early on. My father is, um, he's, he's a physician, but he invested in real estate really early on. So as a, um, a little girl, I was always with him. Um, he bought and rented uh, residential properties, duplexes and triplexes. And so um, I knew how that worked pretty on the landlord tenant aspect of it. But I actually moved to Atlanta because after I finished law school and started working, I realized that I could not put a down payment on a home mm. in a reasonable manner, like yes. outside of borrowing from parents and or putting myself in much greater debt in addition to law school. It just was not feasible for me to buy a home near my parents in Orange County where it was just, you know, the housing prices were just astronomical. And for our listeners, I mean, you're originally from California 
uh, yes. in Orange County. Yes. So you, yes. you, moved, you moved to the uh, East Coast. I used to live out in uh, LA and um, uh, back in my prior career. I, exactly. That's where we school. actually <laughs> yeah, that's how we met. Your law school was one of the accounts that I worked with. Um, but so Debbie, uh, amazing. It sounds like you grew up with some exposure to real estate from your family. Uh, so tell the story. What, you know, you have a very successful law practice. Where do you get the idea that in your spare time or you're going to create the time to renovate a house. I'd love to hear the story about the, the first house. Where, where does that idea come from and, and what do you sure. do with it? Yeah, so the first house actually derived from this house, the one that I'm in right now. Um, so my primary residence was my only goal after law school and moving to mm -hmm. Atlanta. So the reason I moved to Atlanta was because one, I knew that um, immigration law is across the board, uh, federal law, so I could practice in any state. Right. And um, my husband basically said, if you're looking to do anything in real estate, this is where you need to be. He had mm. already moved out here for work. He had already scoped out, you know, the real estate and all that stuff on where we could possibly purchase. And um he basically convinced me to come out and take a look kind of like how you said you should come out to Maryland and see yeah, what the yeah we've, we've actually like talked there. a little bit about real estate because it's something that I'm starting to get more into but uh, I I think it's such an interesting story I mean uh, growing up on the on the west coast going to law school moving to the east coast and so talk about that first project what was that like uh, yeah. you decide you've been doing this now what five years Yes. What was working on that first house like? Did you have any experience doing renovation? None, none. I only had um, buyer, uh, what is it, landlord tenant uh, okay. experience. That was it. So this first house, it took us forever. I rented for two years after I moved to Atlanta to settle in, get a job and decide where we wanted to buy. And um, we ended up in um, northwest of Atlanta. It's okay. only about a 30 minute to downtown drive. So it's really, really convenient. But uh, the reason we picked this is because the real estate prices were really, really good for the quality and the size of home mm -hmm. that I wanted. Um, my priority was obviously to get a really good primary residence with a huge backyard because I wanted dogs and to grow a family out here. Right. So I wanted at least 5,000 square foot of just at least land. Mm -hmm. And then a 2,000 square foot house, which was uh, for most starter homes anywhere, actually, you would want about a three, two, two and a half, right? The three bedroom, two bathroom right. or two and a half bathrooms. That's a great starter home. You have a master suite, you have a guest room and possibly a nursery slash baby room or two guest rooms. So um, that was the initial intent of what I was looking for. And this house actually was um, off market. And when I found it, it was because the, the owner of the house was pregnant, one, and two, her husband had a, um, a job promotion. So they were in a really big hurry to leave. And the reason we knew this is because we actually knew the neighbor. And when that this deal came up, I came up and saw it. I'd already seen at least 50 houses prior to this. And for the off-market price that I offered, it was even better because now I don't have to pay realtor commission fees. Um, one, two, they were I was ready to close really early because I was pre-approved and all of these things uh, with my job, my W-2, which really helps having a W-2 instead of an entrepreneurial income really helps no matter how low, it really helps on the pre-approval. And then when we secured this house, the wife was 
like I said, very heavily pregnant and she was trying to renovate it to get a higher price. And I said, don't even worry about it. Leave it. I'm going to change it all up anyway. You just leave. And that was a huge burden off her shoulders. So we ended up buying the house literally with a two week closing time. And as soon as I closed on it, I literally handed the keys straight to my now contractor. And the way that I found him was that he had actually renovated uh, another commercial project for my husband, uh, a small one. And he actually kind of forgot about him until we were ready to move. And I was like, I need a contractor right off the bat because before I move in, I want to do certain things to it to make it mine right off the bat. Okay. And this is just a personal thing, but any house from the, even from this first house, our biggest thing was one, you change out the kitchen to whatever you think you can afford or what you want it to be. And two, all the toilets need to go. Okay. <laughs> so that was my one thing. And I, I literally looked for a contractor just to do that. And um, that was literally our first reno. He came in and the keys were handed over and we wiped out the whole kitchen. He gave me a fairly good price for mm-hmm. uh, what we were doing. That means we, with changing of a layout of a kitchen, opening up walls, and then just focusing on having a really wide open kitchen for me to start my first home. And from that project on, we didn't do the whole house. We only did kitchen and replacing toilets. That was it. And from that project on, we realized between my contractors, which is a level 11 construction company, um, Harry and Sandro, I'm going to mention them. They are my two biggest supporters. They, I cannot run this company without them and probably vice versa, but literally we just found this ebb and flow trial and error process that worked out really well for us. And after this first phase of my first reno, I started to become a lot more confident because during this process, I learned plumbing, electrical, tiling, um, you know, in a kitchen, it's like a mini home inside of it. So so you have to deal with electrical, plumbing, HVAC, duct work, all of this stuff in that tiny little space. And so because of that, we ended up getting a lot of exposure and experience with each other. And I brought up the idea over a dinner. I took him out to dinner (laughs) and we, I proposed, I was like, would you guys want to do this with another home? maybe two or three more and we would do it one at a time and we would just start off one at a time and I'll look for the property and you guys renovate it and then we'll turn around and flip it and hold on I so I've got to ask so you start with this first home and and one that you're eyeing personally what at what point do you think to yourself you know what I think I might want to do this as a business when we finished when we finished finished, okay yeah so after we finished the first phase of the house the thing is, I think like a lawyer, so mm-hmm. everything was contractual to me. Sure. There were no hard feelings. You know, it, yes, it is an owner-occupied home, but I wasn't occupying it yet, one. Two, I had contracts in play, and they were good. They've been doing this for 20 years, but they don't have a person that kind of like mans their ship, really. They just kind of do a project to project to project, and they just kind of... Eh, like if it works, it works. And if it not, then right. it, they just walk away like all, most contractors do. So having me coming in and dealing with them, even though as a client, I was dealing with them almost the same way that I still do now, because I'm still technically their client. We're two companies. Mm-hmm. And so I was putting things on contract and making it very clear for them. 
So when we're editing the invoice, say I wanted to add one thing or add another niche for something or LED light somewhere, I added those things. I was very fair. If they added a, a, an additional price to it, I would just add it to the invoice so that everybody's on the same page. And a lot of contractors, they just kind of like hold it in their head and just execute. And at the end, they charge up a ton of money or don't at all. And one person, this is just miscommunication. Right. And for us, that was minimalized because of what I had written. And so that actually happened with our countertops, with um, the way that uh, some of the lighting was placed and electrical outlets. So because I wrote down everything, when we were miscommunicating somewhere in the middle, I was like, just defer back to the contract. All you have to do is go there because you signed off on it. I signed off on it. This is what we agree on. If I'm asking for something more outside of the scope of the work, I'll pay for it. So with them, they were like, oh, oh, okay. So she's not going to argue that. She's just going to pay for the extra work. And that just worked out really, really well. So when that first phase was done and we closed, closed out on that first phase of the project, I took him out to dinner and I said, I just want to thank you for everything you've done. I know you were a referral, so let's just keep going. And I didn't actually plan on pitching an idea of a business to them. It happened wow. really organically. It, okay. it happened. This is how most of my ideas start, actually. It starts off at a hot pot or a dinner or something along those lines. And the the chemistry between all of us and the dynamic between all three of us just worked out really well mm -hmm. and um they actually brought their spouses with them and halfway through dinner the spouses were like i don't understand why you guys are all not in business together already and that kind of clicked for us and i was like okay well if you guys are entertaining that you guys are already doing it i can do it as a side business so you guys can continue doing whatever you're doing and I'll just add on one more project. And if this works out well, then we can keep going. So that's part of like the joint venture that I slowly started with them. And the first project that we did turned out really, really well, which is kind of good and kind of bad in certain ways, like good in a sense that we were now really motivated that we can do this sure. really well together. And then not so good in a sense that, you know, now your confidence is way high, mm. right? And, and a lot of times people get overly excited or overly confident. And then the next two or three just goes straight downhill. Uh, and that happened too. The yeah. second and the third one was the really tough one for us to maneuver. The third one specifically where I think I told you in, the, in one of the last conversations where it was a teardown and we ended up having to rebuild completely from the ground up because we well, thought it was we'll get to your your challenges in just a minute because I, I i love what you're sharing but let's start with the basics so you have this yeah. experience working with basically you're starting out building relationships it sounds like yeah. with with people yeah. who, who do really good work you're also and one of the things that i picked up on is that you you noticed where some of the gaps were in how this is traditionally done in yeah. that there's miscommunication. So that's something mm -hmm. that you noticed was a gap in the yeah. way that traditionally renovation is done. So you filled that gap by using a contract method, it sounds like, just spelling out your terms and just having clearer communication. Right. And then from there, from this first experience, it sounds like you see an opportunity to expand this into a business. So a couple of questions that I want to ask, because I, I, I know that this is something that a lot of my listeners are probably just ears are opening up and minds are opening up. So I want to know, you're already a busy person. You're a full-time attorney. Yeah. How do you find time or how did you find the time to do this as a side business starting out? Um, 
I sleep very well, surprisingly. <laughs> Most people answer, don't expect that answer. Right, right. I, I get eight hours every night. And if I don't, then I don't work the next day. Like that's, that's my, that's just the way I function. Yeah. Harris, on the other hand, can sleep four hours and he is full blast the next day. That's not for me. Right. But because my brain power goes full blast the minute I wake up, I need that rest time. So I make sure that I get my downtime and my rest time at, at the eight hour mark. That's and great because most people listening to the story would assume that you probably sleep two hours a night. Exactly. And, and that, and exactly. That's, that's why I always say it first, because it's, it's this whole culture of saying like, you work more, you work more, you work more, you push yourself to the limit and then you'll succeed. Yes. Working more will get you there, but working over time and exerting yourself to the point of passing out, it doesn't. And yeah, I got to that point. Detrimental. I, that's detrimental. It's very detrimental for the long run. So I learned that really quickly early on because in the beginning of your business, yes, I was putting out 80 hours a week easily. I was clocking it because I still think like an attorney and I'm still clocking my time of right. you know, how much work I do in a day. And so from eight to five, I was in the office sorry, nine to five, I was in the office for law. And then from five until 10, I was on real estate. Ah, and so okay. I added, when we started doing the second and third houses, I would add another hour or two in the beginning of the day. So I would get calls because my guys are up at 6am earlier. Mm -hmm. They're on a job site at seven. So when they're on a job site, they start texting me at 7am. So now from seven to nine, I'm also doing real estate work texting kind of in bed or when I wake up and I'm just going, going, going. And then from five to 10 at the end of the day, I do it again. So, so it sounds like it was very, very logical based off of your schedule, just, you know, yeah. waking up a little bit earlier to start that communication. And then after your day job, you had designated hours. And then I'm guessing weekends yeah. were also a good time and for weekend. you to yes. go to the business. Uh, Yes. So we set very early in the schedule or in my schedule that Saturdays and Sundays would be days when I would be on site. And the other times I run through a WhatsApp, uh, the WhatsApp app, yep. I have about a million every single <laughs> You and I, yeah, that's the primary channel that you and I communicate with. So yeah, as, as, you, as you've as you uh, informed me uh, a couple months ago, WhatsApp is the best way to get a hold of you. Which, it is. Uh, yeah. It is because I can be abroad, I can be here, and I'm yeah. still able to communicate fully, fully with my team. And it organizes each project for us. So if we're on just like a continuous chat thread all the time per project, they know to answer just on that project and it keeps everything so seamless and easy. So that helps me prioritize and organize my day, my projects, and which ones to prioritize. And that's how we did it. And I was clocking in easily eight hours in the, mm. in the beginning. Now, I think I'm about half of that. That means yeah. that my nine to five is actually cut down too because of the pandemic. So right. when the pandemic happened, I actually, because we were all out of the office. So now my nine to five is no longer a nine to five. And that's when I think my business really skyrocketed. The, the renovation business completely okay. skyrocketed because in a two week time span where I literally had nothing to do like I couldn't go to the office everybody was sick nobody was responding we didn't know what was happening in the world in March 2020 I had a meeting with Harris outside on my patio and he's like my guys need to work that's all he said he goes mm. the guys need to work and most of our team 
don't get social security benefits. They don't get unemployment benefits. They don't get any of those things. And so he was just like, how do we keep our crew working? And we just pivoted. So between Harris and I, we decided to move the projects that were in currently interior renovations completely exterior. Okay. So we ended up pivoting to that aspect and my hours ended up pivoting because of it. Oh, interesting. Well, we'll, we'll get to the, it sounds like, I mean, you're sharing so many great things, but I want to go back to something you talked about earlier, because one of the things that I am interested in is yeah. uh, some of the challenges that you face. So it sounds like that first project you had some great success with, yeah. but then you mentioned, I think it was the third project. So I do want to yeah. talk about that. What uh, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced in doing this as a side business? Because sure. I know for, for a lot of people, rent, renovation, real estate, there's a lot of question marks. There's a lot of uncertainty, especially if you don't have experience with it. For yeah. you, what, what are some, what's one story you can share with our listeners of a big challenge and how you, you either navigated through it or learned from it and, and came away stronger from it. Yeah. So um, I think the biggest challenge for me or one of the biggest projects where we learned the most was in our Welch project where we thought um, because we were scaling so fast, Harry and Sandra were all overwhelmed. So I ended up taking on a second crew to do two okay. houses at once. And one was still going. And then the other one, the Welch project, I took on a second crew with another uh quote unquote contractor slash foreman. So this other crew started working on a project that we thought was a very good renovation project. Location, neighborhood, everything was in the same neighborhood as I was working on. I just doubled up on my team. And um, because Harry and Sandro, they work very well together, I kept them on one project and then I added a crew to the second one. When we added the crew to the second one, things were happening where I instinctively was feeling unsure about. Okay. I didn't know what it was at that point, but all I knew was one, it was taking longer than necessary. Two, something isn't done exactly. Like I didn't feel the security that I did with my first team. So halfway through, I think um, demo, uh, when they were starting the demo on the project and we were starting to permit, um, I find out that the house has a gigantic hole in the middle. Hmm. And this happens a lot in Pittsburgh where they build the foundation around a gigantic okay. manhole and then they just build on top of it without any support in that hole. Oof. So the house ends up going like this. Oh, you know, wow. it starts to bend yeah. inwards. And so you don't realize it until you start demoing everything on the inside and then you just look down at this nine foot manhole and you're just like, this is, this is not possible so what ended up happening is i was at work an inspector drove by he saw the permit for demo but he came in to look at it and he goes this is not a house that can stay up this house has to be a teardown and wow. for me that was like the biggest indicator of oh hell <laughs> like th yeah, this, yeah. this is not good and right from that moment i was like I knew something was off and my, my guys were not telling me. And the reason I was saying that they weren't telling me is because when I was permitting and coding for the project, they said, it's a good house. It can stay up. It can stay up. It can stay up. So I'm calculating in my head, a renovation project. When a house has to be fully, fully demoed, you're now looking at 15 to $30,000 because you have to have 
a demo permit. Well, let me ask you, I mean, I'm so curious at that, go back to that particular moment when you find that. Yeah. Because I'm, I, as I'm learning more about you, I'm learning about your constitution and your personality. Are you the type of person where, because I know if I were in that situation, I'd probably get that sinking feeling in, in the pit of my stomach and I'd probably I probably want to go throw up. What did you feel at that moment when you realized? That exactly. <laughs> literally, symbolically and literally that the house is falling in on itself. Yep. Yep. And I have a picture of myself in front of that house with the house literally about to fall in. Oh my God. And I was just like, what have I done? I mean, what have I'd I done? be thinking, I did not sign up for this. And, and, and obviously it's, it's kind of like one of those things where you're going from like zero to 60 to 200, because now you're taking yeah. on something that uh, at least at that point was out of your wheelhouse. So yes, what is your thought at that point? I mean, cause like my first thought would be, Oh crap. I want to get out of this altogether. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I just, I just poured gasoline on a fire that's out of control. What yeah. are you thinking at that moment? I had to take a step back. Okay. Um, I, I had probably a nervous breakdown or yeah. something similar to it for about two days. Um, and I ended up having, because hair, my first crew and I were very, very close at this point. We've done three projects together, right. all of these things, but because they were overwhelmed, I didn't want to put more pressure on them. But at that time, when we found out that the house was going to be fully, fully demoed, no matter what, because the city, uh, implementation, I basically just sat on it for two days and then I called a meeting with my original crew. And I said, when they came, I said, I think this is the situation. This is something that could take all of us down because if this house goes down, the other house is going to suffer. Right. Right. So if the other house suffers, that's, I mean, I'm carrying the burden of everything. I'm the money, I'm the finder, I'm, I'm the person who gets all the investors, my, all of this together. So if I can't finance this and this, we're in trouble. So I ended up pulling in my original crew and I said, is there something that we can do to amp up this side here completely so that it can at least put a placeholder on it for some time? I'll let my investors know so that we can finish this one and whatever profit we get from this one, we'll be able to compensate for the, the other one, the, the one that's being torn down. And um, Harris goes, of course, we can, of course, we'll adjust with you. We'll be able to do this and this, but let me see the project first. So he ends up going to see the second project that we were on which is literally around the corner from the other one, but he wasn't on it. So now he's going to see it fully, fully, fully from start to finish. And so when he came out to see the project, he's like, one, I think it's a great project and location. Two, I think it has a ton of potential. And three, I don't want you to lose this house. So we sat back down, strategically planned what our route was gonna be to handle both houses. And because they were already overwhelmed, what I ended up doing is I spoke to the investors and said, if you're going to be, a, if you're able to be a little bit more patient on the house that's being torn down, instead of doing a small renovation that we planned on doing, which wasn't that small, it's about, still about $70,000, $80,000 reno, we're going to completely tear it down, which we had to anyway. But instead of building a mediocre house in its place, we were going to build a resume house. We were going to build a spec home for the company. And this is the perfect opportunity to do it. 
Yeah. And the reason that I thought of this, again, I have to credit my team, is because I actually saw what they could do in their own homes. Both of my builders on the first crew had built their homes from the ground up. So they knew how to do it. They just didn't, nobody gave them an opportunity to do it any other time. And so I said, if you were to take this on, could you do a spec home? And we would test out again, our boundaries, mm. which was already a good running dynamic, but can we push ourselves to the next level? And they go, yes, we can. And from that moment on, I pushed completely with the investors. I brought in two other investors, put in my own personal money into this so that we could just placehold this one, finish that uh, first one that they were on as fast as possible. We did sell it for a record price. And then we literally put all of our energy into the new build. And the new build, we made plenty of mistakes, but at the same time, those mistakes were literally life 101. It, it was just university 101 for building a new home. All Sounds of like the, it was a, it was a, a turning point for you a turning to, point. To, to exactly. grow the business, which is exactly. absolutely phenomenal. And Debbie, I mean, how long have you been doing this now? Five years, five years. Congratulations. Yeah. I think that well, is almost five years. That's November absolutely incredible. Was when we, we first started our first project. Well, in the last couple of minutes, I just want to ask a couple more questions because uh, this is a fantastic uh, story that you're sharing and very inspiring. So what advice would you have for our listeners who may be interested in exploring something like this? Where do you think they should get started? What are some resources you can recommend? The crew, uh, resources, a hundred percent bigger pockets. Um, and bigger pockets is a really, really great. And it was a really great instigator for me. Um, I can even recommend two or three episodes out of there. Cause I think they, they're at like episode 500, something. Oh, is, that, is it a series where a podcast where, uh, a t- it is, okay. it is a podcast slash YouTube. It's exactly oh, okay. what and the way that they're interviewing is exactly what you're doing, oh, okay. but they focus literally only on real estate. And all aspects of real estate, they do notes, um, building, investments, syndications, everything. So it's such a broad range of topics and conversations. But I listened specifically to three episodes that really, really hit home for me. And that pushed me to do it. I knew what I was going into a little bit, but I needed someone to just be like, you know what? You've been listening and researching for so long. Now you just need to get up on your ass and do it. And those three (laughs) episodes were it. And I'm going to tell you what those three episodes are. The first one is um, she, her name is Brittany, I believe, Arneson, Brittany Arneson. And she was 18 or 19 years old, this girl from uh, right on the borderline of Canada and US. And she was renovating fixer upper homes by herself. Wow. And, uh, like really dilapidated homes, but she turned them into Airbnbs and or flipped them. And because she was doing them, she's a single young girl, not even like a single mom or anything. She was just a young single girl by herself. And she started doing this and then her boyfriend helped her. But her journey is so, so interesting. And that's one of probably my biggest, biggest uh, turning point. The second one is actually a podcast. He's not a podcaster. He's a flipper here in Atlanta. His name is Jay Scott. He's got a a bunch of books. He actually has a new one coming out soon. And he um, has flipped at least 500 houses here in 
Georgia alone. And he has this system that is unreal. Mm -hmm. And I liked him the most because I'm a lawyer. I'm not a math person. I like simple math. Like this is how much you buy. This is how much you put in. And this is how much you sell it for simple math. And he has a system that kind of just breaks down all the barriers. If you ask me what, you know, capital interest and all this stuff is, I'm like, I don't don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Like I like simple math. And he breaks it down so easily for you on the flipping side of the business that I implemented his system into mine. And that was a really big one. And then the third one is another, she's a, um, I think she's from the Philippines. Her name is Ariane Lemire and her and her husband started doing the same thing as me very early on when they first got married and they just couldn't afford to go travel. They had their home, but they couldn't, they didn't have any excess income to do anything else. And that's exactly what I felt. Like I had a solid job. I had a home, but I couldn't do everything that I wanted to do. And that was her incentive for literally getting into the real estate world. And so those three people were the three that literally made the biggest difference on podcasting to me to get started on my real estate. And hopefully now me. (laughs) Yes. And now you absolutely. Speaking of you, Debbie, uh, where can our listeners find you and learn more about the work you're doing? So I am most active on Instagram. So my Instagram handle is Debbie Lay Renovates. My name is spelled D-E-B-B-Y-L-E Renovates. And I'm what uh, it's all connected on Instagram. We also have a YouTube channel, which we are adding more content as each build happens. Uh, I have a videographer and editor now. So our content awesome. is getting better and better. And um, we are also connected on Facebook, but I'm not as active. It kind of just pulls over from there. But Instagram is probably the most active because it's uh, life. It's life. So yeah. every weekend no, when I'm great. on site, I, I'm going to recommend all of our listeners follow you. And you also have a website, correct? I do. I have a website as well. It has um, most of our uh, projects are on there. I'm in the middle of actually renovating that website to make sure because I think that my um the viewers and and clients are like oh we want to see a page with all of your kitchens all of your bathrooms and things like that because they just want to renovate one portion or you know some portions of their house so that has been the feedback that i've been getting instead of doing project 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 i was i'm now going to allocate more specific things for all the kitchens i've done because now we have a repertoire of it a portfolio of it so we're adjusting to that and hearing and listening to what the feedback has been. Oh, fantastic. Uh, well, what is, uh, what is the website? Just so we could have it uh, on the write-up. It's actually debbielayrenovates.com. So awesome. We'll have all of that on the write-up. Debbie, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your super busy schedule to share your story, your interesting journey, and some great tips and resources and lessons that can help our listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a Always a pleasure talking to you. (laughs) The pleasure has been all mine. And Moving Forward listeners, you can find the write-up at bemovingforward.com. I'll be back next week with another episode. You can find the write-up for today's episode at bemovingforward.com. The views expressed by any featured guests are not necessarily those of the host, the program, or affiliates. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and bemovingforward.com. All rights reserved.